Good day to you. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for listening. It is a chilly morning here in southwestern Virginia. Had to get the snow off of my truck before heading out this morning. Um, I've just been praying for the last little bit here this morning in light of, of what I want to share today. And I uh, just pulled over to read just a few verses, five or six to be specific. And um, and then I'm just going to drive off and, and do some commentary as we go. And I just want to get, I want to just get right into this today. And I, I'm, I'm feeling like this is probably going to be two parts. And I want to call it distant, flattering lips or close and contrite hearts. Distant, flattering lips or close and contrite hearts. And I want to look at several different scriptures and I want to kind of set the table of some real thought-provoking introspection about our lives individually and just about the corporate understanding of those who say they're in the church who are Christians and our view of Yahweh God and like Again, continuing to to just continually pose the question, do we really know him? And do we really know Jesus? Some of this has stemmed out of recent conversations. Um, We've had a relative in our house for the last week, and, and we've had a lot of deep, lengthy conversations of taking a good, hard, long look at do we know eternal God as he is, not as we perceive him to be, not as we were taught that he is, but who by the scripture and by the spirit of God in a man revealing the awesome attributes of God himself, do we know him? And so I would say over the course of the last seven to 10 days, God has really been speaking some things very clearly. Um, and so distant, flattering lips are close and contrite hearts. And I just want to start in Luke chapter 9. And I only want to read a few verses specifically in this part, I believe. And I'll read some other stuff along the way, should that work out again, as I drive these windy, serpentine mountain roads to get to my destination. So as they were going along the road, All these people, the disciples, someone said to Yeshua Messiah, Hey, I will follow you wherever you go. And Yeshua said to him in response to, I will follow you wherever you go, Master Messiah. The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then he, Yeshua, said to another, Follow me. He said to another now, not to the man who told him he will go wherever he goes. He said to another, follow me. But the one he said this to said, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Yeshua said in response to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go, proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. And then another also said to Yeshua, I will follow you, Lord, but first 
permit me to say goodbye to those at home. Jesus, Yeshua, said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. All right, so per usual, I'm going to start driving. And let's just think about these things that we just read. That Yeshua, Messiah, the God-man, Emmanuel, and flesh and bone, alongside other men who were saying to the best that they knew how now, they were saying they would follow the Messiah wherever he went. We see who you are. We commit ourselves to go wherever you go. We will follow you. Okay, so this takes me right back yet again, yet again and again and again to the very first podcast that I did here when I believe it was, I don't know, February of this calendar year, where I felt the follow me call like I had never reckoned with it before in my life, of the forsaking and the abandoning of my entire will and way. And when that came to me, I had a choice. When the call began to be understood in me, I had a choice to be what I would say in light of this um, study we're going to look at. I could be offended at what that demand upon me was saying, or I could be broken and yielded and truly submitted to the Master, to the Messiah, and by my actions, respond to the words of my mouth. Because there are plenty of people on the earth, and there always have been throughout all of history, who have said with their mouth, I will follow you, I will follow you. This scripture alone, this tiny little snapshot alone, is the perfect example of that reality. We have said with our mouths, we will follow the Messiah. But when the, re, when the real response to the commitment and the call comes and we have to count the cost of everything that we are called then to forsake and abandon, well, what then? What then? What things have we in our own lives? We may not, probably not have ever said verbally, but we will not give up. We won't surrender. Well, not that. Not that doctrine now. I could do something right now in response to a revelation that's come to me, but it opposes my belief. It opposes my doctrine that I am sure is right, so there's no way I'm going to do that or give myself to that because it opposes what I believe. It opposes my own understanding. My future. My job my status, my reputation, all of my plans, my future endeavors, my son, my marriage, my brotherhood friendship realities with other men on the earth. When these things come into question about are they really on the sacrificial altar before the Lord, only our response is what matters. Our words mean nothing. Our words alone mean nothing. Oh, I will follow you, God. I will follow follow you, Master Messiah. Okay, 
Well, then throw down your nets and come. Because honestly, when the disciples that were told of specifically were, were actually approached by the Messiah to say, cast down your nets, it was no metaphor. It was no, it was no parable just to teach some lesson to them. He said literally, hey, leave everything you know and follow me. It was, and continues to be all the way filtered down to us today, an offensive call. There's no way around that. There's not. And we're going to revisit that several times in this series. Jesus made it clear that one must do what one, what one must do in order to be called his disciple in Luke 9, in this little tiny discourse here. Number one, you will have no home, in quotes. You will have no home. You will be an alien here. You will not fit the mold and the patterns of this world. And friend, if you do, if you can go through life unnoticed, unmarked, indistinguishable from the world, then friend, there's a major issue. There's a major problem. If you are so relevant to the world, you look just like her. Because he says, the foxes, the birds, you will be like that, friend. You're not going to have a dwelling place here. You're not going to find a comfortable abode to set up a permanent dwelling and stay here. You are passing through. You are an alien. You are and will be, should you follow me really, an outcast here because what you will become if you do in fact become like me and follow me and become my disciple is you will oppose all of the ways and patterns of the world. Number two, you must forsake your plans, even understandable, necessary ones. And you will preach the kingdom of God. Your message, your pronouncing of who you are and your accomplishments and your greatness, all of the plans you have, all of the things you've accomplished, nope, they all have to go. You will now be obsessed with promoting the kingdom, the gospel, the good news. It will become your only message. Well, let me tell you about all the things I've done, brother. Even how godly I am. No. Irrelevant. Irrelevant. They have no place. Your life now, y'all, isn't that not what Paul said? Everything else is garbage and rubbish. Everything I've learned, everything I've accomplished, nothing at all in light of the kingdom. In light of this good news message about the Messiah King who has come to redeem all of mankind, it is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. Forget me. Forget me. Forget me entirely. It is about the Messiah. Period. Number three, you must remain always looking at what is before. No one after putting his hand to the plow, who after beginning the work, who get, who's getting after it, doing the work of the kingdom. If you start looking backwards, it says you're unfit for the kingdom. 
You're deemed unfit. You can't perpetuate the kingdom. You can't be plowing, working, laboring into the harvest, looking over your shoulder. You must continue to look at what's before. Again, we have been told that and instructed that clearly in the scriptures. Set your mind on things above, because that is in fact what's before us in the culmination of all things, free from this fallen natural world and these these natural bodies of flesh that are, are bent towards disobedience to God. Look at what's before. Look at the government of God that will be descending upon a new heaven and a new earth, establishing His perfect, great, exalted holiness at one with man again, just like the Garden of Eden pre-fall. What's behind you, son? Don't look back there. Don't look back there. It's gone. It's gone. It's in its proper place. Set your eyes on things that are before you. What did Paul do? He set his eyes on what? The prize set before him. He was running a race. Runners in a race do not look behind them and continue to move on with the same speed and determination as if they are locked on set on what is before. That's a simple natural principle that a child can understand. The follow me call. The deny yourself call. The you won't have a home. You have to abandon your plans and preach the gospel of the kingdom. You have to remain locked on on what is before you and leave behind everything that's in the rearview mirror. It is offensive, is it not? Jesus was obviously offensive, and he knew it. We know this in, in many circumstances in the scriptures. I looked at 1 Peter 2. This precious value then is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, quote, it's quoting Old Testament, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. For they stumble, why? Why do they stumble? Because they are disobedient to the word. They could not receive it. Well, why couldn't they receive it? The follow me call came to the Emmanuel God-man. They could not receive it because they would not release and walk away from everything they knew. Everything they were. Everything they understood. They could not abandon their own will and way to embrace the God-man in the flesh coming to rescue them. So he became a stumbling block. Matthew eleven six, and I spent a long time here yesterday. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me, is what Jesus said. Now here's some of the conversation I've had this week. How could anyone be offended at Jesus? How in the world could anyone be offended at Emmanuel? Right? I mean, if you've ever been in Christian circles outside of just the comforts of, of hanging out on couches and going to church 
sit on church pews and you've ever had a heart-to-heart discussion that really gets to the thoughts and ways of a man, you've had that question posed to you or you've asked it yourself. Well, Jesus was perfect. Jesus was the Savior of the world. How could anyone be offended by him? He was perfect. Okay, well, we know all these things. But what about the personal introspection about when we encounter the Messiah for the first time? As he is now, not as sweet little white-robed, you know, beautiful-eyed Jesus with his arms extended out to all the little children gathered around him on the rocks. I mean like biblical Jesus with fire in his eyes. The preeminent king of all kings, seated enthroned, and all of creation bows before him, okay? A rightful reverence and fear and awe of the Son of God. How could anyone be offended by Jesus? Well, he said things like, you know what? Nobody gets to the Father except through me. I am the way, the door, the gate, the way, the truth, the life. Like, he continued to just chip away at every other excuse and man-made endeavor to get to God and or be right in himself. Uh Uh-uh, can't go that way, can't go that way. Nope, that's nothing. Well, that opposes God. No, that's unrighteous. No, that's sin. All he did was obliterate every other way man had made themselves right with God. And listen listen to this, right? This is just coming to me in this moment. That's why the Pharisees were so offended. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, Son of Man came, and even the way that was instated by God was torn apart. The veil was rent. Everything that was God-ordained was shifting and changing and was now becoming personified by the God-man. So try wrapping your brain around that the next time you think Jesus is not offensive. I would say you've not known him before. <laughs> because every way that, that Yeshua Messiah, every way that he is, everything that he personifies is offensive to the natural man. He opposes the natural And so when we first meet him, are exposed to him, see him as he is, there is an offense. Now the only only prerequisite really is the response when that offense comes. Will he be a stumbling block where we hate what we see and we will not yield our will to him, we won't bow our knee to him, or... We see that offense because everything about him reveals all that we are apart from him. Do you hear what I'm saying? There has got to be a time in your life where when you encounter Yeshua Messiah, you are offended because everything that he is reveals all of our depravity. If we have ever really met him, we have had to encounter our need, our depravity, our sin, our shame. Our unholiness. Oh God, we're we're unworthy. I thought I was good. I'm wretched. When? 
the true light of the Messiah is shined upon our lives and we actually see Him as He is, He is offensive. He is a stumbling block. But He doesn't have to stay that way. If and when a response comes that is only a gift from God by the Spirit of Himself to reveal our need and lack and therefore drive us to humility and repentance and turning, can we see and rightly respond to the stumbling block reality? How could anyone be offended by Jesus? Well, that's easy. (laughs) If we've ever really seen Him, He will offend us. So let's look at a couple quick things here about just some quick word studies. Blessed. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Satisfaction from experiencing the fullness of something is blessed. Satisfaction from experiencing the fullness of something. Now let's talk, let's just, again, I'm thinking of some of these things even as we go. Who was the fullness of eternal Yahweh God in flesh and bone? The Messiah. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It pleased the Father for all the fullness of himself to indwell the Son. He was the perfect personification of the fullness of the deity. Offended. Blessed Blessed is he who does not take offense at me, who's not offended because of me. This is so awesome when I read this. To see in another what I disapprove of and what hinders me from acknowledging his authority. Is this not so crystal clear? This is the pattern of the world. Offended Offense at the Messiah is, I see in him what I disapprove of. And what I see in him hinders me from acknowledging his authority. He's just too much. He asks too much. He demands too much. He's not really Lord, Master, and King. Really, really, really. I may have said so with my mouth, but in my heart, no. I cannot give myself to that. I can't bow my knee in humility to his preeminence. He offends me. But if not, friends, if not, if I look at him and in that place of my first knee-jerk response as a natural carnal man at the offensive nature of the Messiah who confronts everything that's in me, if, 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 I repent and I turn and I willingly bow my knee before him. I'm blessed. I'm satisfied from experiencing the fullness of something. What is that something in this case? All that he is. My satisfaction is found in him and therefore he's not a stumbling block to me. He's not an offense to me any longer. He is my helper, my rescue, my rescuer, my deliverer, my king, my lord. He is every single thing that he desires to be to all of mankind. And I yield myself to him. I yield to him. I yield to him and I yield to him again. 
And therefore, I'm satisfied because I've yielded to the fullness, a recognition in my heart now, in my innermost place, not just my lips, and that's where we're going to get in a little bit later, but something that originates in my heart recognizes that he is in fact all that he says he is. The fullness of God does in fact dwell in him, and I yield my will to the will of the forerunner Firstborn of many brethren, Yeshua Messiah. No longer offended, but I'm blessed and I'm made filled to full because I find no offense in him. I actually desire what he sees, or rather what I see when I look at him. I see my need. I see, yes, Lord, I won't have a home. Yes, I give up my plans. I abandon my ways. I lean not on my own understanding. I will choose to look on what is before me because what's behind is the old natural carnal man that was offended by you. And I'm not him anymore. I've been made a new creation because I've yielded my will into the Messiah. Jesus will be offensive. He has to be. Because only then do we see our depravity. When a light comes on in the darkness, everything that cannot stand light flees and runs. Or, and or, hides. Preservation. If I just stay here, under this rock, in this closet, locked down, hidden away from the light, I'll just be okay. I'll be okay. As long as I can stay in the dark, I'll be fine. And friends, be careful to make sure that's not you. Self-preservation, putting on a smile, saying, God is good. He loves me. I'm putting on this cheesy smile face. He's so good to me. He loves me. Jesus is good. He's the Son of God, and He, he will receive me because He's so good. No, friends, that is not biblical. That is not biblical in any way. There is one way to God, and it is through the Son. It's through Him alone. He is one, one, one narrow way. You cannot get to God because God is benevolent and kind and compassionate. That is not scriptural, period. We must go through the Son. And the Son says, I am the light of the world. And you're not getting to the Father by hiding in the dark and just repeating over and over with your mouth how good God is. That will not get you to Him. You will not and you cannot know Him in such a way. Don't reject the cornerstone. Don't allow the cornerstone to be a stumbling block rock of offense. Yield to Him, to His ways, to His teachings, to His demands. Look, friend, this is what my wife and I talked about briefly, and I'm going to wrap up this part and we'll move to part two. The master's table reality, y'all. If you come to that table and you are handed a garment, which is the, which is the Messiah, 
If you do not put him on, if you are not clothed in his righteousness, if you are not properly clothed in the righteousness of the Son that Yahweh God eternal, the perfect Father, has given to you to be clothed in in order to be at his table, friend, you will be cast out. You will not be in the presence of the Master. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that's hard. Friend, that is offensive. That offends Christians. Well, that doesn't sound fair at all. That sounds hard to me. Yes and amen. But he's the master. He's the master. And you know what? A a contrite heart, which we are going to get to, steps back and says, I'm a lowly man who doesn't even deserve in here. Thank you, master, for giving me a garment that deems me worthy to come into your presence. A yielded will that says, oh man, you, I'll put on whatever you tell me. I will put on whatever you say, Master, Lord, King. I will put on whatever you have provided because I want to be at your table. And I don't deserve it. Whatever you say, I will do. I will not be offended at your requirements. I won't be offended at what you demand of me because you are the King and I am your servant. Friends, we've got to get this truth. Will we have distant, flattering lips Or will we have close and contrite hearts? Part two, coming up next. Amen.